Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Who decides, Congress or the executive? It's a key question underlying many prominent legal interpretation disputes. One such dispute over defining waters of the United States has trapped one family that sought to build a home on their Idaho property in limbo for over a decade. And now, two trips to the Supreme Court. Joining me to discuss Sackett v. Environmental Protection Agency and the other work performed by his firm is Pacific Legal Foundation Vice President for Legal Affairs, James Burling. Before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I am an attorney for Pacific Legal Foundation. I have been working there for 39 years and two days, so it's kind of a steady job. Uh, Before I became an attorney, I was a productive member of society. I worked as a geologist, an exploration geologist, climbing up and down hills in the West looking for mineral deposits. But I was inspired by federal bureaucrats I dealt with to go to law school so I could sue bureaucrats. And that's what I've been doing for a living for now, for the last, say, 39 years and two days. So tell us, tell us about a little more generally about Pacific Legal Foundation, what, what your, uh, is it accurate to call it a, a firm? Yeah, it's a legal foundation, but it is a law firm where we represent individuals pro bono. We don't charge anything for our legal services in cases that help help defend liberty, economic liberties, uh, rights guaranteed under the Constitution. But we take a more of a conservative and libertarian viewpoint than what your normal public interest law firm, the... You know, Sierra Club or whatever. Right, because normally when you think of public interest law firms, you think of the native Yeah, you, you think of the progressive left. Uh, we are far from that. Uh, we believe in economic liberties. Our strongest point of, of argument for the, over the years has been property rights, where we have defended people's property rights against all sorts of government agencies, whether it's the California Coastal Commission, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, you name an agency or a government body, we've probably sued them over the years or somebody just like them defending individual property and economic rights. So we believe in the right to have a business, to right to pursue your occupation, to right to build on your property, before, et cetera. So before we get into the current cases, can you, guys, can you let our listeners know, like, are there any cases that they might have heard of that you guys were involved in that, that you guys consider successful? Uh, Probably our biggest case is the first win at the Supreme Court called Nolan, <clears throat> excuse me, versus the California Coastal Commission. That was a case where a homeowner along the California coast wanted to rebuild a home. And they were told by the Coastal Commission they could build the home, but they had to give away one third of their property to the public in exchange. And they thought that was ridiculous. They went to court. We'd lost in California. But eventually the Supreme Court said that was an out and out plan of extortion. And they could build their house without having to give up their property. <clears throat> so, so now, in early October, you guys have a have a case before the Supreme Court. Yes, right? we have Sackett versus EPA again before the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned again. So why is it an again? What what's the story, and how did it end up? Uh, in Washington, not once, but so twice. the Sacketts in 2004 bought two thirds of an acre lot, and in 2007, in the spring, they began to work on the property to build a little three bedroom home. 
there's a small patch on the property that the EPA says is a wetland. And so they came to visit them a month after they began their work and saying, you got a wetland on this property, you have to stop. Not only do you have to stop, but you have to remove all the fill that you put on the property and where you were grading it. And you have to fence it off. You have to plant wetland vegetation, wait several years until the wetland vegetation takes hold. Then you can come to us and apply for an after-the-fact permit for the work you did, and perhaps for a permit for other work that you want to do in the future, which we may or may not give you. Probably we won't. And the socket said, what a minute. Wait a minute. There's no wetland on the property. They consulted an expert, and the expert said, no, there's no wetland on this property. The expert that used to work for the EPA in the Corps of Engineers. So the Sackett said, we want to challenge this. And the EPA said, no, our determination is final. You can't challenge it. You have to remove the fill, et cetera, et cetera. And the Sacketts were outraged. They came to us. We represented them. We promptly lost in the Ninth Circuit, and we took it to the Supreme Court. And the issue there the first time in their 2012 decision was whether or not the Sacketts had the right in the first place to challenge the determination of that it was a wetland. And the court unanimously said, yes, you can challenge it. Go to court. So they went back to court. They went to and, trial court. And so, and so what's, its, what's at stake if, if uh, you know, if they had challenged this to the Supreme Court, to the Supreme Court the first time and they had lost and the, the Supreme Court had said, no, actually the EPA just gets to decide this. And so... Every day that the fill remained on the property, EPA threatened them with fines of $75,000 per day. So this case has been going on 15 years. I, my calculator doesn't have numbers this high. I think it's up to about $350 million so far. Of course, the EPA said, look, we're not going to ask for everything like that. That's just ridiculous. Of course, the you know, the Sackets are not a small third world country. They don't have $350 million kicking around. Or, or, a, or a large multinational corporation. Right. Uh, nobody does. So, which when, most people, when, most, when most people, I think, think of the Clean Water Act, they think about, you know, a factory discharging uh, industrial effluent into a river. Yeah. Being, being, I think it's serious stuff. People that's going to kill people, that's going to make them sick. We're talking about somebody trying to build a small residential home in an existing residential subdivision. Uh, the fines that Monsanto can have for poisoning a creek are the same that the Sacketts can have for allegedly filling about 100 square feet of wetland. Uh, I mean, a 10 by 10 spot, right? And so uh, the Sacketts then went back to court to argue that there's no wetland on the property. And this took forever. The EPA wanted to go back, and they got the right from the trial court to go back and put out more experts out there. Remember, they had already determined it was a wetland, but then they decided, well, we don't have enough evidence, so we're going to gather more evidence. So they gathered more evidence. They took samples, and they took borings, and they did all this stuff, and they went to court and said, see, there's a wetland there. And the trial court in the Ninth Circuit agreed, but there's a problem. For something to be a wetland, subject to jurisdiction of the federal government, it has to affect interstate commerce in some way. It has to affect a navigable waterway. But there is a berm on one side. There's a road on the other side here. There is no connection between what happens on the surface of their property 
and any navigable waterway, such as the nearest lake. Yeah, so the, the customary, the customary, and correct me if I'm wrong, the sort of customary layman's definition of navigable, navigable is I can put a boat on it. Right. And you can certainly put a boat on the Sackett's lot, but it's not going to go anywhere because it's a dry lot. It doesn't get wet. It doesn't even flood. So a boat's going to stick there. It's not going to move. So, yeah, you can put a boat, but the boat has to move. And the boat has to be big enough so it is used in commerce in some way for trade or tourism or whatever. Uh, simply saying that the Sackett's, because they are a few blocks from a lake, and they have wetland on their property, there has to be a connection. And that is the key issue that is before the Supreme Court now. What kind of connection must there be between an alleged wetland, such as a damp spot on somebody's property, and a navigable waterway? I mean, some people would... And so this, and this gets in... Is this related to water? This is related to waters of the United States rule somehow? Yes, this is the so-called waters of the United States, or as we fondly call it, the WOTUS rule. Uh, and it's been a rule that's been going back and forth. We had one from the Obama administration, which went way overboard. Not only things that are navigable, but things that, uh, but but things are 400 feet away from a wetland that may eventually drain into a tributary somewhere. Uh, then you have the Trump rule, which has been rescinded, and now you have a new Biden rule that's coming out this week, uh, which again expands things beyond the level of comprehension. So it's a fight back between those bureaucrats who want to control everything on land that could affect a navigable waterway or in their dreams could affect a navigable waterway uh, or between a common sense definition. If the boat floats, you got jurisdiction, federal government. If the boat don't float, you don't. Yeah, and, 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 as, and as you mentioned earlier, it has to go right. somewhere. It has to go somewhere. I mean, from, <laughs> from, one, from point A to point B, a, my, 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 you know, my Swimming pool is not enough for it to be a navigable waterway. At one time, the, the EPA was even arguing, the Corps is arguing that if a duck lands on a pond uh, and the duck is in interstate commerce and the duck could land there and sit around and flap there and, and look down and say, well, I'm going to land on that spot. That's an interstate commerce. Well, the Supreme Court struck that one down, but the EPA and the Corps of Engineers are ever resourceful. And they come up with all sorts of excuses for imposing jurisdiction. They say, well, if we put one drop of a radioactive dye or tracer on a piece of property and it shows up downstream somewhere four years later, ha, jurisdiction, because it affects interstate. Come on. Uh, there has to be a what we call a de minimis rule, something that is so minor, it just doesn't reach the issue of, of what Congress intended, and certainly not what the Constitution means when it says the ability to regulate things that are in interstate commerce. Uh, it, it's why haven't why has it taken so long for the courts to to reach this question? Not just in the Sackett's case, but just kind of, like I mean, I'm not surprised that Congress would be you know less than precise in the way it writes legislation, but. Why has it taken the court so long? The, the court has taken these issues one case at a time. The first issue, the first time it took it up in a big way was with the glancing duck test that I mentioned, the, the duck that might go down in interstate commerce. And then a few years later in 2006, it had a, another case called Rapanos, another one we argued at the Supreme Court. 
And Rapano's involved in owner of some farmland. You look at pictures of it, it looks pretty dry to me most of the year. And he was altering that. And the uh, EPA and the Corps said that they had jurisdiction over it because eventually it might affect a navigable waterway miles away. And the Supreme Court took that. And that's the case that they should have had a definitive definition. But they didn't. They had four justices led by Justice Kennedy with a pretty common sense definition saying that the water has to have a surface connection from the wetland to the navigable waterway. Uh, and it has to be most of the year round. It just can't be something that happens in a flood. And that's a pretty common sense definition. Four of the justices said, no, EPA gets to control whatever they think is going to have any impact whatsoever. And Justice Kennedy sitting in the middle said, well, you know, I think we should go through this multi-factor balancing test to look at the physiological, biological, chemical attributes of the wetland and the connections to navigable waterways and the larger gestalt of what it may be on a full moon on a Saturday night. I, I mean, it was ridiculous and it's totally, but then since there was no majority of five, uh, a lot of courts have gone with this. Kennedy. So, there's, so there's no, there's no controlling, there's no controlling opinion because Anthony Kennedy wasn't sure. Yeah. Anthony Kennedy uh, bollocked it up and no controlling opinion. And even he said that this is so vague, this might be unconstitutional, but be that as it may, that's what you gave us, Justice Kennedy. And so now we are asking the court to finally take care of the issue once and for all to adopt essentially what the Scalia test was. You know, we can modify a word here and there, but essentially saying, court, if you issue a clear ruling on what wetland is, we can be done with this stuff, maybe, uh, because I'm sure the EPA and the Corps of Engineers will think of something. But we can be largely done with this and have a good, clean definition. Of course, the other alternative would be for Congress to do something, but <laughs> to say hey, Right, right. I mean, like we, like we saw with the West Virginia v. EPA case last term, exactly. the, when, when the uh, court told Congress that if I, I again correct me if I'm wrong when the court told Congress if you want the EPA to have total jurisdiction over carbon emissions Congress that's your job not yeah. ours look EPA <laughs> took upon itself to adopt the clean power plan and EPA itself said and I'm quoting from that decision that it would impose billions in compliance costs raise retail electricity prices require the retirement of dozens of coal plants and eliminate tens of thousands of jobs. And what the Supreme Court said, look, EPA, if you want to do something that big, you have to point to where Congress said you could do that. And the Clean Air Act... Is, is, this, this, is, the, is, this, the, is this the major yeah. questions doctrine? This is the major questions doctrine. When you're going to do something that involves such a major impact on the American economy and the American people, you have to have clear authorization from Congress. And the you can't just make this if it's essentially if it's a big deal you need if it's a big deal you need yeah, a law. you need a law that specifically says you can do this stuff you just can't make it up because you think it's a good idea and that's a problem with administrative agencies for a long time they they think that anything that they think does good that by the way gives them more power uh, is something they ought to do because Congress told them to go out and do good stuff you know they say hey. Congress passed a law saying, agency, do good things. So now we're going to do good stuff and we're going to find another agency that we want to regulate. Now, the problem is 
that there's no limits on what administrative agencies can do. And the bigger problem is that means administrative agencies get to write up the laws from scratch themselves. And we have a problem with there because that violates separation of powers principles, where you don't want all the power of government into one body. I mean, James Madison, when they were debating the Constitution, said that there can be no liberty where the legislative and executive powers are united in the same person or body of magistrates. And he continued, he said, if you have that, that's justly pronounced the very definition of tyranny. And when you look at what EPA is doing to a couple like the Sacketts, threatening them with millions of dollars of fines simply because they're trying to build a home, uh, that to me is a definition of tyranny. So recognizing that those are the stakes if the EPA wins, what are the stakes? What 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 good things could happen if the SAC, if you guys go to the Supreme Court and get a result that you guys consider favorable? And the SAC. I think that farmers, ranchers, home builders will be at a lot more ease that they can go out and do the things they've been doing on their property for generations without running afoul of the Clean Water Act. I mean, we have represented farmers that have been threatened with hundreds of millions of dollars in fines and jail time. One of my first clients many, many years ago was representing a son and father who were clearing a small quarter acre lot and putting clean sand on it. EPA said it was a wetland and threw them in jail for 18 months. After they got out of federal prison, they were told to restore the wetland. They scraped off what they did. Core said, that's not good enough. We want to send you back to federal prison. This time, they weren't represented by an attorney the first time around. They thought the charges were so ridiculous they could argue it themselves. Big mistake. The second time around, they got another federal judge to come out and look at the property. And that federal judge said, I don't think this is a wetland to begin with. Indeed, it wasn't. The state told them that it wasn't a wetland. But the court said it was by their definition. And so after spending 18 months in prison, they were essentially told, well, you know, you probably shouldn't have gone to prison in the first place. And so what what we're hoping is that if we get a victory at the Supreme Court, we're going to have fewer people spending time in prison or being threatened with prison time or of astronomical fines for doing ordinary things, plowing fields, uh, cutting down trees, putting in a small road or a driveway somewhere, building a family home. Uh, People in this country shouldn't be faced with federal prison for doing things that are as innocuous as that. Right. And we're not, and again, it's that sort of in this case and similar cases, it sounds like we're not talking about giant multinational corporations building factories and not managing the waste from their factories properly. I mean, that's something that is subject to legitimate regulation. Nobody denies that. But when the agencies just go so whole hog against ordinary homeowners. And and those those, those major corporations, unlike your first client, those major corporations have legal departments and legal teams and very expensive lawyers uh, who make who can go to court and who can ensure that they're in compliance with the letter of a very complicated law. We have been representing the Sacketts now for over a dozen years. And if, if we charge them the normal legal fees, they would be in hot millions of dollars to their attorneys. And who could do that? That's why most people 
when the federal government goes after you, they just roll over and say, take whatever you want, please. Don't, don't, you know, hit me again. Uh, but that's just wrong. And that's why agencies need to be reined in. They should not have that kind of power over ordinary people like this. They're, they, they, they should be able to look to see if the, you know, fine and the potential penalty is at all proportionate to the, to the uh, alleged harm. And clearly in this case, it's not. When the ordinary person can't even tell what a wetland is and what a wetland isn't, you know, we're all subject to violation. I mean, I'm, I have, I'm afraid of uh, fixing a driveway because maybe the driveway affects a wetland or there's a weed on the driveway that's endangered. I mean, there's no limit to the power that people can go against you. An eagle might fly over my, my yard and I pick up the eagle feathers and say, that's nice. I'm going to collect that. Well, that can get me in federal prison. I mean, seriously. So uh, anything else our listeners should know either about this case or any other things that you guys are working on over at Pacific Legal Foundation? I, I could go on all afternoon about that or <laughs> morning as the case may be. Uh, but we we do have quite a few. We have another case that's going to be argued later this term of the Supreme Court, a case called Wilkins versus the United States. Now, that deals with the question of... Uh, What's the statute of limitations on when the Forest Service does bad things to your road? In this case, the Forest Service, we're going to take care of it. We're going to take care of it. We'll take care of it. And then finally, they tell them, no, we're going to let the public go on your road, and it's your problem, not ours. So they sue. They said, well, you should have sued us back when we first started having problems. You said you're going to fix them. And so it's a question of what the statute of limitations is for suing the federal government. We think people should be able to sue the federal government when bad things happen to them. And it's clear that bad things have happened to them and not uh, before that, because they would have been tossed out of court before because they would have brought the case too soon. So they have that case at the Supreme Court. And of course, there are a whole lot of other fascinating cases dealing with discrimination by colleges. Uh, California's politically correct bacon rule uh, is going to be argued before the Supreme Court. Uh, the question of how big a pig pen should there be in Kansas to sell you know, bacon to Californians. So, I mean, this is going to be a fascinating term. All right. Well, thanks again to James Burling of Pacific Legal Foundation for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.